Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to an HBO podcast from the HBO Late Night series, Real Time with Bill Maher. Start the clock. And what a difference a week makes. That's what I have to say. I, and last week after the show, people were calling me and said, Bill, you really kind of went apeshit. <laughs> They're doubling down on Trump as a traitor even after the Mueller report came out. Well, apeshit doesn't look so bad this week. <laughs> I mean, people were last week, they were like, come on, if Barr was shading the report, wouldn't Mueller's team say something? Well, this week, they did say something. <laughs> so... <clears throat> So, unroll your eyes and go re-fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, Mueller's team started to leak this week. They had to say that the report was a lot worse than we thought. And Attorney General Scissorhands <laughs> didn't let us see the real deal. And he's still busy redacting. You know, by the time we see this, it's going to be covered in more black ink than the governor of Virginia in 1984. <laughs> You're right. Always safe to groan first. <laughs> anyway, uh, but, you know, it could be that, that Barr winds up doing what James Comey did. Remember at the end of the Hillary investigation? He comes out and he says, even though Hillary didn't do anything criminal, here's every little thing Hillary did wrong. I have a feeling Barr might do the same thing. He might come out and say, even though tr- what Trump did isn't criminal, here's every little thing Hillary did wrong. <laughs> I do think that could happen. But here's some news. Democrats finally, God, it's about time, officially have asked for Trump's tax returns. And and, uh, Trump said, could I give you a short summary from William Barr? (laughs) No, Trump said, I would love to comply. (laughs) This is an excuse for him, but I'm being audited. I'm sorry, the government can't see my taxes because the government is looking at them. This is the excuse. I mean, if he has nothing to hide, then why not release the tax returns? I mean, after all, a tax return is just a birth certificate for your money. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so Trump did what he always does when he's in hot water. He changes the subject to his favorite subject and gets his base going, the border. He's all week long, I'm going to shut down the border. And then, uh, then he heard... I'm hearing 
Somebody told them that would destroy our economy. <laughs> and that half a million people crossed the border every day. That's, that's more than all the weird Chinese ladies who are wandering around Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> you heard about that shit? Oh, my God. <clears throat> Wow, these people who won the election on security. Yeah, a 32-year-old woman from China, obviously a spy, got into Mar-a-Lago. They just assumed she was the rub-and-tug lady. (laughs) She she says she could want to use the pool. (laughs) No bathing suit. She has four cell phones, a hard drive... And malinfected thumb drive. Look, this is not only a threat to national security, but to all the guests who are legitimately there to bribe the president. (laughs) And did you know? Did you know the president was here today? In LA? Okay, yes, he was here for a round table fundraiser, get this, which cost you to get a seat at that table $150,000. He needs that money to defeat the elitists. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, you know, he's been to this state three times. Obama was here to L.A. 40 times. Once, just to take Biden to the... <laughs> Grauman's Chinese Theater so he could put his hands all over the cement. <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen... And... And the cement has come forward to say it felt terrible about it. And it was crying in its car after. No, <laughs> Biden is still at large. <laughs> Women are being urged to walk at night in pairs. I just want to make that clear. No, he was out. Did you see Joe Biden today? He finally emerged. He came very close, so this close to saying he was about to run. But we still don't know if that's true. We do know it's true that his hands have been part of an exploratory committee for decades. <laughs> but, you know... But, you know, we're getting a little nitpicky. I mean, of course, no one likes to be touched unwantingly, and women get a lot more of that than men. But the first person who brought this up said he made her feel gross and uneasy. Yeah, you know what makes me feel gross and uneasy? A second Trump term. That makes me feel very gross and uneasy. I mean... He's not Harvey Weinstein or R. Kelly. He's more like the TSA. <laughs> and it's getting ridiculous. A woman came forward today and said she was touched by one of his speeches. <laughs> All right, we've got a great show. We have Sir Salman Rushdie, Danielle Plutka, and Gideon Rose. And here a little later, I will be speaking with our good friend Chelsea Handler, is backstage. But first up, he is the former U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under President Obama, who's currently running for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination, Julian Castro! All right. How are you, sir? Great to meet you. All right. So, how's the uh, how's the campaign for president going? You got it's the field full. all to yourself. <laughs> I wish, I wish. A lot of people... There's still the, time for it's that. It's going to look crazy, the debates, right? It's going to yeah, look like the Hollywood you know, squares. I, mean, I think they've managed it well because they're splitting it up, right? So if there are 18 people, it's going to be nine and nine instead of the crazy Republican one we had. So how do you ago. make yourself stand out in a field like that? Well, I mean, I'm going to try and do it without being crazy, talking crazy. That would do it. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, I've been telling folks out there, I'm one of the few folks with actual executive experience, right? Mm-hmm. I was a cabinet secretary 
I was the mayor of the seventh largest city, San Antonio, Texas. Um, I represent a new generation of leadership, and uh, even if I weren't in this race, what I hear out there is that people want a new generation of leadership. Uh, and then I've been out there giving a strong, compelling, positive vision to people of what I would do for them and for their family. So you started with an immigration plan. I mean, your first stop was Puerto Rico, right? That's right. I went to San Juan right after I announced. So, and then you announced your first policy. It was about immigration. My question is, why did you pick that policy? Because it would be like if Obama, when he first came out, uh, his first issue was reparations or affirmative action, when he was trying to say, I'm going to be the president of everybody. It seems like that's the obvious issue for you, is immigration. You got those people. You got well, that issue. You know, I, I think people also want to know uh, uh, what's close to your heart. Uh, and that's close to my heart. I grew up with a grandmother who came over from Mexico when she was seven years old because her parents had died. My family has lived an immigrant's American dream story. And it also is the issue that this president is hell-bent on using uh, as a political ploy every time he wants to score some points with his base, right? So what I'm telling the American people is, look, this president a year ago basically said that if we would just be cruel enough to take little children away from their parents, that that would stop more immigrants from coming to the southern border. Um, that cruelty failed because there are more people coming. And he wants you to choose cruelty. I want you to choose compassion. I have a completely different vision for what we should do. And I'm not going to shy away, you know, I'm not going to shy away from putting forward that positive vision to Is that going to play as well all over the country as before this audience, though? I mean, oh, I is, think is, so. that, is I... that a message that people... Okay. Yeah, well, uh, every time I've run for office, you know, I have made sure that I talk, speak to issues that represent everybody. Uh, at the same time, um, you know, this is very clearly his number one issue. He's going to go to this issue time and time again. He always does it. Why does he win Latinos at a number... He won more than Romney did, like in the last election, oh, like 20... I mean, yeah. If we believe that, he may have won it by one or two extra points. But why any? Because I think there's still, like with any other community, there's a certain percentage built in base that it's very difficult to get above. So Obama in 2012 got about 71%. Clinton probably got 69 or 70, right? However, what's going to be different in 2020 is that this guy is no longer just, uh, you know, a theoretical candidate. He's the guy that threw paper towels out at Puerto Rico, that has talked about cutting off aid to Puerto Rico, has lied about how much aid has been given to Puerto Ricans, uh, is threatening to cut off aid to uh, these Central American countries, he basically has created uh, an other in immigrants. I seriously doubt that he's going to get anywhere near 30% of the Latino vote in 2020. And I can tell you, I believe that uh, if I'm the nominee, that we're going to win the 11 electoral votes of Arizona, we're going to win the 29 electoral votes of Florida, and the 38 electoral votes in my home state of Texas. Well, that... Well, that's the strategy that they had last time, was like, you know, the, the Republicans can't win anymore because the demographics are against them. And Trump went out there and went, I see white people. So we, we lost Michigan, as you know, we lost Michigan, Wisconsin, right. and Pennsylvania by less than 8,000 Okay, 8, you mentioned votes. those. Can you win those states? Oh, though? I can't. Those are the I'm, ones they I'm, say I'm, Joe Biden can win. I'm going out to Michigan on April, I mean, Wisconsin on April 13th, and then Michigan right after that. Um, I think that we can, and the reason that we can is that the suburbs have abandoned Republicans under Trump. You think about all the suburbs outside of places like Milwaukee, 
Detroit, right. Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia. And also, between 2012 and 2016, the African-American turnout fell from 66% to 59.5%. I think I, as a candidate, or several of the other candidates, could get that back up into the 60s, and so, we can beat him. Yeah, and his numbers never go above 40, mid-40s. Yeah. Right? I mean, other presidents have always been higher at some yeah. point. He's right there. But he won last time, and I feel like he could win this time. He's already announced basically yeah. what his strategy is, which is to call the Democrats socialists. Some of them call themselves socialists. You've got to take that question everywhere. You're going to get it. Are you a socialist? What is socialism to you? How much socialism is capitalism irredeemable, as some in your party have said? Uh, well... Socialism is when the government controls the means of production, right? Nobody out there, whether it's Bernie or me or any of the other candidates, well, are talking think, about the government controlling the means of production. That's ca communism more than socialism. Socialism, we have socialism already. Socialism is Medicare, is Medicaid, is, is Social no, Security, it's the Marine Corps, it's the post office. That well, we have already... significant public investment, right? I, I don't disagree with you that, that we have, whether it's TRICARE or any of the things that you mentioned. So you'll remember that Ronald Reagan uh, in the 1960s was calling Medicare socialism. It, They're yeah. going to do this every single time. They're going to label whatever Democrats try and do to help everyday Americans as socialism. And what we have to do is offer a strong, compelling vision of what that's going to mean for families. So, so that's you, what I'm focused you're on. You're for Medicare for all? I am. And for free college. Now, for I've read tuition-free college, sure. Right. I've read that that would cost in 10 years over $40 trillion. Um, see, I worry about handing this thing to Fat Donnie uh, <laughs> because we scare a lot of America. I mean, I think if... Uh, Democrats could get reasonable about health care. And, of course, we should have Medicare for all. But when Obama did his plan, what he said was, if we were starting from scratch, I'd be all for a single payer. But we're not starting from scratch. We're starting from a country that has had employer-based since World War II. Well, it's ingrained every man for himself, where you have lobbyists and money in politics, the pharmaceutical industry, the insurance industry... We're not starting from scratch. People kind of like Obamacare now. Isn't it smarter and better able to win the election by saying, I'm just going to improve that, you like it, we're going to make it better? What I have said is that uh, I believe that we should strengthen Medicare for the people that have it and make sure that everybody can be a part of it. But if somebody wants to have their private health insurance plan or supplemental plan, then they should be able to do that as well. I think that appeals to people. You know, I think folks understand the importance of people actually having health care as, as opposed to just health insurance. You know, health insurance is when you get the denial letter from the insurer right. <laughs> telling you, you know, they ain't going to cover right. whatever you're asking them to cover. Health care is when you actually get that care. So I think that we can win that argument, uh, especially because he's sabotaging the ACA. And by the time we get to November of 2020, there are probably going to be a few million more people right. that don't have health insurance. Right? So I feel good about that argument. Okay. So I want to ask you what the right tone is for the Democratic Party. I saw Joe Biden today, and he said, the first time I've ever heard a Democrat say, uh, I don't say I'm sorry. I'm not sorry for the way I acted. I'm not sorry for my intentions. I like that. Uh, I saw you on Rachel Maddow earlier in the week. She asked you this question about Joe Biden. Uh, you both talked about it with great gravitas. Some people today were saying he joked about it, he shouldn't joke about it. I think he should joke about it. I don't think it's that big a deal. I disagree, yeah. Okay. Um, 
And this is why I disagree, because um, for forever, we have told women, basically, essentially, just be quiet about stuff like this. Not and stuff like this, not, about yes, sexual yes, harassment. It's not the same but as sexual harassment. I, I agree with you. He did it to men, too, I and agree children. With you that he's a toucher. <laughs> he's a grand... He's yeah, a, but it's I not... agree with you that there are gradations of it. However, in the workplace every day, in so many different contexts, women have basically had to, to swallow that and not be taken seriously when they say, hey, look, this kind of behavior makes me uncomfortable. So what I said is that I understand that, that the vice president you know, didn't intend to make people uncomfortable. At the same time, I think as men, it's incumbent upon us to also understand that it's not just your intention, it's also how your actions are making somebody feel. They're not making up those feelings, you know? No. They're not making up those feelings. So... Yeah, I think that there is a way to reconcile that. And to me, we're going to really progress when you have workplaces that are able to take both of those two things seriously. We're still navigating all of that in this Me Too era. But I don't think, I think it's, I think it's bullshit to say that, oh. that we're just going to, you know. No, I think it's bullshit to say that, oh. that people can get away with laughing it off, you know. I, th- I think that that's completely the wrong way to look at it. Yeah. And final question, will you do Fox News? I've been trying to get all the Democrats to go on Fox <laughs> News. Well, I will. In fact, we have an invitation to do a town hall. But right. first... You gotta but go first, there. I, I will, get inside but first the I got my CNN town hall okay. on Thursday, April 11th. Right. So. All right. Thank you very Thank much. You. Great luck with the campaign. It's terrific. I appreciate you being here. Julian Castro, let's meet our panel. Okay, here they are. He is the editor of Foreign Affairs magazine, Gideon Rose. Hi, how you doing? How you doing? And she's a senior vice president at the American Enterprise Institute and MS... Oh, no, just NBC News contributor, Danielle Pletka. Great to see you again. Been a while. And he's the best-selling author of The Golden House, Sir Salman Rushdie. Sir Salman Rushdie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta call him sir now. Don't forget to send us your questions for tonight's overtime. So we're going to answer them after the show on YouTube. Okay, as I said, what a difference a week makes. I feel a lot better this week. And also, since the Mueller report came out um, and he was... Uh, first of all, we should call it the Barr report. We have not seen the Mueller report. The Barr report. That's what we know. No bump in the polls. Even after two weeks, after Barr said, no, nothing to see here, not one movement upward for Donald Trump. Just like there hasn't been a movement downward after so many things one would thought. It seems like Americans are so locked into a partisan uh, slugfest that, you know, Yankees fans don't become Red Sox fans if the Yankees have a bad year. And it just, they right. stay Yankees. When, yes. when do the Yankees have a bad year? Like people have decided about Donald Trump. I mean, that's, that's really the issue. They've decided, and they're so saturated with news about Donald Trump and the Mueller report and Barr and everything every day, they've decided... But they decided he's a criminal. I kind of really resent Donald Trump being compared to the New York Yankees. As, yeah, I know. As, yeah. <laughs> as a Boston Red Sox fan, I don't, I don't resent it at all. I take exception to that. But, but actually what has happened, yes, there hasn't been a bump, but what there has been is a lot of reports, of, you know, surveys which show that nobody believes that he's clear, yeah, that he's right. in the clear. That by very, very large majorities, people think there's something... It's amazing how low the bar has gone in this country. D-A-R-R. Why do you think Russia picked the Republican Party to collude with? 
Well, because as Trump said, I mean, they, they, not really. I mean, wait a minute. Well, no, no. On. I mean, they asked. They try wait. everybody. They try everybody. Well, well I don't know. I don't know. Everybody, the Chinese try exactly. Everybody. Wait, wait. In Helsinki, Putin was asked the question: Are you? Did you favor President Trump? Da. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Right. Why? And we know. I mean, we know he offered them help, and they took their help. Why the Republican Party? Were they more corruptible? He's malleable. I don't know about corruptible, but he's malleable. It's certainly true that a lot of the things that Trump has been saying are very much the Putin agenda. It's in Putin's favor to weaken NATO. It's in Putin's favor to destroy the European Union. These are his very high policy agendas. Yes. And 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 Trump has been doing that. And after the report came out, I mean, it was very clear. No one disputes the fact that it said Russia tried and did meddle in our election. Trump came out the next day. He condemned the media. He condemned the Democrats. Not Russia. Never Russia. Mm. Never Russia. They're even in Venezuela now. This is a weird one. This Maduro, the dictator of Venezuela, very strange creature. One of the few dictators in the world Trump doesn't like. He's always threatening him. Military action is on the table. But there's a pickle here because Trump's work wife, Putin, (laughs) is... Is no, backing there's, Madero. There's no pickle in Venezuela. I think this is an area where the Trump administration has actually done a good job. They've lined up their allies. They've got the Organization of American States together. They've got, they've got a domestic opposition that they're backing. The Russians are everywhere. The Russians are in Syria. The Russians are in Egypt. The but, Russians are in Libya. Whoa, whoa, of course they're in Venezuela. But we got a thing called the Monroe Doctrine that never applied to Syria. <laughs> and there are Russian troops in Venezuela now. What would you say if there were Russian troops in Venezuela when Obama was president? Look, here's the thing. I think that the administration, broadly speaking, is right about Maduro. I think he's a dictator and an asshole and needs to be got rid of. Yeah, Um, but... But, you know, to call this a success for the administration is, is really... It's too early for that. Nothing's happened. You know, at the moment, Maduro still has the army. He still has... You know, he's still... He's still there in charge. So we just we're and the talking. Russian Libya in the spring of 2011. It's easy to say somebody must go. It's easy to back and one side in the standoff. The problem is what happens if the guy doesn't go? And the Russians then you got are trapped there. in a civil war. Why do the Republicans always get this patriotic immunity? I just want to know. That's not fair. The Russians are there because there's an opportunity there. Do you believe that we ought to invade Venezuela to get the Russians out? No, but if they... If you think that's what the Monroe Doctrine says, no. then say so. Well, well, we have done that before. We got them out of Cuba. Remember that? We didn't invade Cuba to get no. them out. Well, we... Actually, when we did, we tried. It didn't work well, very well. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Exactly. Yeah. But they, they asked Trump the other day. They said, you know, did you say anything to the Russians? And he said, they know. They know. Well, they yeah, know they... because we've sanctioned them enormously aggressive because of what they've done in Venezuela. We, well. in, we, put in, we put more sanctions on Russia after they were in Venezuela. We've gone after more Russian banks after they were in Venezuela. They know for that reason. There's an old oh, Soviet term for the people who play your game without knowing the consequences, and that's useful idiots. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Trump is a useful idiot. Yeah. I don't know how useful he is. Okay, so well, I mean, well, in, in 2017, I remember when Trump was... When the, the first crew was in there in the cabinet, I remember saying, you're going to look back at these days and be thankful for these guys, Rex Tillerson, McMasters, remember that crew, even Jeff Sessions. You know, we all didn't like them, liberals. We were like, oh, my God, oil people and, and generals. But now, you know, William Barr, a stooge... 
That's what a stooge is. I'm sorry. He's a... He's a uh, uh, he went to well, high school, actually. Yeah, and he went to a, a good school. He's a well-educated stooge, but that's a stooge. I know. This is what I meant. Apparently like, we produced stooges miss, in the high school. I didn't know this. You're going to miss the first crew. You're going to miss Rex Tillerson. He's a stooge. Uh, the guy at the IRS. Okay, they're never going to see the taxes because the guy at the IRS is a version of William Barr. He's someone who auditioned for the job by saying Trump should never have to release his taxes. The person, Carl Klein, this hack who they put in charge of personnel so that he could override the objections to people getting security clearances. There are 25 people who have security clearances who shouldn't have, including his daughter and her husband. Um, So... Now he wants Herman Cain (laughs) and Stephen Moore to be on the Federal Reserve. Defend that, anyone. The trouble with this stuff is it would be funny, except that it's not funny. It's not funny. (laughs) I mean, Herman Cain leading the Federal Reserve is like a gag line. We used to make these... Right, it's beyond parody. We used to say, and he's going to appoint Scott Baio to the Supreme Court? He might appoint Scott Baio. It's actually kind of really interesting, because it's it's a second-tier move, because the first-tier move was try to control things you don't... Eliminate things you don't want, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the Fed, to try to get them directly controlled. But they were prevented from doing that because there's formal legal protections for some of these agencies. So by appointing people who then just don't do anything or you get executive capture of the institutions, even without any kind of formal problems. Same thing can happen with the Supreme Court. Why didn't the Democrats... Sorry, what's going to happen with the Supreme Court? No, no, you end up using legitimate parliamentary maneuvers and yes. legal things to place loyalists in yes, a whole set of positions. And your, 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 view, is, and your view is other presidents haven't done that. Not no, to, okay. Oh, please. Not to, not to, this like extreme what, to what's the board. I'm going to give you Stephen Moore and Herman Cain 100%. The Supreme Court, no. Sorry. We're more familiar with the phenomenon. No. Now it's being applied, the partisan thing of that is being right. applied now to everything all the way down. No, nobody, else, nobody ever did this. Nobody ever put somebody in a job just because they were a loyalist stooge. To oh, please, you don't live in Washington, my dear. Well, that na- is not name true. Them. Name them. No. Name them. Name somebody. I, I think she's right. I, think, I, would say that, oh, I would say that the difference is now this is the norm and the pointing the qualified oh. technocrat is the exception. The lack of, and the other the way lack is the other way around. The difference That's is fair. that the other... Presidents weren't criminals, Nixon aside, for that little Watergate thing. They didn't, they didn't need to, to do that. He needs to have himself. someone who protects him from seeing that. What is it? Why, why wouldn't you want the tax returns? I mean, Eric Trump said, we don't use American banks. We get most of our funding from Russia. Okay, the FBI had opened an investigation into whether Russia was basically running the president as an asset. Isn't that enough connection so you would want to see what's in the... T- wouldn't a patriot want to see well, the president's know, tax returns? We know that Deutsche Bank had to pay an enormous fine to the European Union for laundering Russian mafia money. We also know that Deutsche Bank was the major lender to the Trump organization. And that the person working at Deutsche Bank organizing that was the son of the recently retired Supreme Court Judge Kennedy. Um, Now, gee, that doesn't add up, does it? Nothing. Well, everything adds up too easily. Is the, is the, I mean, the, it can be a little bit like the crazy people in front of the walls with all the different, you know, threads and pictures and so forth. I uh, did that once, yeah. <laughs> I, I did that sketch already. I mean, look, but... we're going to see what the report says at some point, right? Except for the stuff that's actually classified I, I... for legitimate sources and methods, reasons, or legal stuff. It's going to leak at some point. It's just a question of how, when, I think. Well, I mean, I, you know, the thing is, 
if, just to use a publishing analogy, if you were given <laughs> a four-page summary <laughs> of a 400-page text and asked to judge the text on the basis of that four-page summary, you would say, I can't do that. I can't do it. You know, I don't, I don't have... The, I, I need to see the book, you know? And we need to see the book. Well, it's like there's a... But... It's like there's a book, and then they made a movie out of the book, and then you only get to see the trailer. You get to see the... Yeah, you get to see the YouTube clip. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, and, it's absurd. And but f- what they can do, isn't it, what the House can do, since the Senate is blocking the release of the full report, is that they can, they can subpoena Mueller. Yeah, I'd love get, to see it. Get him to come and testify. You know? I'd, I'd love to know. And I think that may happen. I'd, I'd love The book isn't magical realism. Yeah, right, yeah, you know, <laughs> wrong person to tell us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, no, I'd love to hear what Mueller has to say about why he Do you left... Do ever will? Will he ever talk? He's like the Sphinx. Think, well, can't they make him? Well, I mean, if he's under oath... What? Why can't we have a 9-11 commission for this? You know, he had we a very... We just did. That's what he was. No, no. No, no, no. That's a very narrow mandate he had to look for legality. That's not the same thing as a 9-11... Com- a 9-11 commission, excuse me, would not... You wouldn't be able to say 12 angry Democrats. It's five, like the 9-11 commission. Five Republicans, five Democrats. More into finding out just what happened. Why can't we find out what happened? They could subpoena people. We could do it out in the open. Wouldn't that be a better way to go? So we shouldn't have had a special prosecutor. No, I think this would have been better, right. You think that? Okay, fair enough. Okay. So, um, Javanka, one of, them, one of them had an unsecured email server. Where did I hear that before? Yeah. Like, the guy won a whole election on that. Mm-hmm. And the husband, the husband, like, why is he running our... Okay. He, he was on WhatsApp. You know, lock them up. Lock them up. I mean... It's it's a characteristic of this entire circus to to do the things that they accuse other people of doing. Yeah. um, And to name other people by the names which are described them. So, lying Ted, crooked Hillary, creepy Joe, who do they apply to? Right. You know? Look, this is the hypocrisy. This is the hypocrisy of power. This is this is this is not understanding what it was that drove Mrs. Clinton to do this, and then suddenly being in the same circumstances and wanting the convenience. But this of isn't worse. I mean, he, his. Of course, it's worse. The, the lady who got into condemned it in her. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the second White House is a club. He's like working out of the Bada Bing Club. Right, it's a... He's, that's like, <laughs> I'm serious. It, no, it's a club. Yeah. A club where people come and go in so bathing suits. This is the first problem. When I look at this, I, I see it as the difference between the sort of professional staff who are saddled with these... It's like, yes, minister is real life, right? There's right. a professional staff <laughs> in government. Yeah. And then the amateurs we elect preside over them for a few years and then go out and a new set of amateurs come in to provide over the professional staff. And the amateur politicians and political appointees just don't have in their gut the respect for bureaucratic procedure, intelligence classification, all things that the hard and core professionals do, the military, the uh, intelligence community. And 
we do things like give people clearances so that you won't put compromised people in office or compromisable people. It's not that everybody who doesn't get a clearance is a spy. It's just that there's something there that is a trigger that somebody else could potentially blackmail them with. And it's very, very tough to get in. And you do it as a risk management tool. So to ignore the clearance procedure is just basically bad professional. It's ignoring the advice of the professionals and running your thing like a cocky amateur. And that will get you in trouble. And it, a lot of the well, policy it, things it, we're it doing was a later. very this bad is, week. This is, by the way, part and parcel. This is part and parcel of the tax return issue as well, which is that which is that this sense that the rules that apply to everybody else don't apply to me, yeah. and that is a really bad message that the president is sending. You know, I've spent a certain amount of my life in third world countries, and and which have had military dictatorships and very corrupt civilian dictatorships, and I, let me not name them, Pakistan. <laughs> um, and it's very, it's very depressing. <laughs> Come closer, man. It's, it's very depressing to see this country behaving yeah. like that. Oh, you know, the, the... And another thing that happens with dictators, I mean, this week it was uh, quite a week for the Dementia Watch. I mean, the, the president could not pronounce the word origins... He could not name where his father was born. He thought his father was born in Germany. He said windmills cause cancer. Yes. And then, but I thought the craziest thing he's done in the last month was this ongoing feud with John McCain. Uh, show a little bit of the, what's going on with Trump and McCain. I was never a fan of John McCain, and I never will be. I'm not a fan. He was horrible what he did with repeal and replace. I've never liked them much. Hasn't been for me. Probably never will. It's gotten so bad that Trump and his people have now made an attack ad. Take a look. He's at it again. Politician John McCain says he's given a lifetime of service to his country. But what has McCain done for us lately? Donald Trump works with his fellow Americans while John McCain refuses to budge. McCain voted against repealing Obamacare. And when Trump blasted him for it, McCain's response, silence. McCain says he's for truth, but it's been written in stone that he lies. Tell John McCain not to turn into one of those ghosts that comes out of the TV. Paid for by the committee who don't understand what dead means. All right, she's a comedian, activist, best-selling author of the new book, Life Will Be the Death of Me, and you too, our favorite. Oh, she's on a sit-down comedy tour. Starts April 11th in Boston at the Orpheum. Chelsea Handler is back with us. Okay. Hello. Oh, no, 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 no. No, we don't touch anymore. No, no. Whatever. You think I'm going to bite you? Jesus Christ, what are you, insane? <laughs> Sorry, we'll I, didn't, to that I didn't know no, the new rules around right, here. That's right, new rules, we'll get to that too. But I, you know, I'm reading your book and uh, I'm feeling like a bad friend because I didn't realize you were suffering some, I mean, we all, everybody took the 2016 election hard. But I didn't know it really knocked you down like that and it came. you came back stronger, that's what the book is about. Yeah, I had a midlife identity crisis once Trump won the election because I had never had my world feel so feel so unhinged, I think. And uh, I had to pay a psychiatrist to listen to me bitch about Donald Trump for about the first three weeks. And then once we got past that and we got to the real stuff, I realized the parallel there was my world becoming unhinged when I was a little girl. My brother died when I was nine years old. 
I had never related the two, but for me, as I can imagine, it must have been for so many people, it was a huge emotional trigger of everything being destabilized. And I realized just how spoiled and privileged I'd been all my life to realize... Yeah. To be this upset and this out of 10 every day and the outrage and the anger. I just wanted to fucking fight people, you know? And I was like, I got to go I mean, see a psychiatrist. I mean, there is a lot in there about what I would call white guilt that you have. Yeah. And what, is, what good does that do? I mean, you're right. We're lucky. Uh, some people are lucky, others aren't. That's not fair. Life isn't fair. Well, no, yeah, but I think you can also focus on becoming a better advocate yeah. slash ally for people from marginalized communities and stop looking inside your right, own lane and look outside to I others. But I, th- but I, I wonder... <laughs> but there's a lot of, you know, white so lame. There's a lot of white people hating on themselves. I don't think that's what... First of all, that doesn't help minorities. I don't think, they'll, oh, boy, that makes me feel a lot better. She hates herself. <laughs> Um, I, I just feel like we're kind of like self-flagellating ourselves, and it's not helping. It's maybe you don't. I don't. I disagree. I think self-flagellation is good with really? regard to this. I think we've misbehaved for so long that we need to get our shit together. And I believe, and I mean, I really am trying very hard to not think about my own experience and to think about other people's experiences. So in that vein, I think it's important to reach out and go, "What was your story like? What was your life like?" It's not like mine. I didn't have that many struggles. You know. I've never been hungry. I've never been assaulted. And I think something that you learn through therapy, which was so valid for me, is I didn't think I had a right to be in pain because I wasn't raped. I wasn't molested. I didn't have anything that I deemed as worthy of being uh, damaged. I had a brother who died, and I thought, I don't get to be in pain. I have this great life. I have a big career. I can do whatever I want. And the fact of the matter is, but you every, have to... But you everybody ha- has pain. And, well, of and course. You're just, I, I, yeah, but I mean, like, just because you have pain doesn't mean somebody else doesn't have pain, too, or that we have to be in a competition about it. No, I don't think it's a pain competition. <laughs> I think it's important to recognize, I think, before you can be of use to other people, you do need to clear out yeah. your own injuries or clean out your own injuries. Okay, but so, when I feel shitty, I'm not going to feel bad about feeling shitty because somebody feels shittier than me. Because somebody in the world is always going to be doing worse than me, and I still feel shitty, but I'm only in my head. Well, then you should feel shitty. I, I mean, do. that's your prerogative. Uh, no, I don't want to feel shitty, and I don't want you to feel shitty. But well, yeah, I mean, I think we're all on our own little yeah, path. Yeah, yeah, So, we're you know, whatever works for you. So, Listen, I'm a more mindful citizen because of it, and the, I woke up. I had an awakening. The and best so, part of it is that you found weed. Well, Trump, yes. Trump led you to, to weed. I could have told you years ago. But uh, Trump led you to smoking pot. Right. Cut down on your drinking. What I discovered was alcohol and outrage are not a good mix. It's like a hat on a hat. So I, I pivoted. Right. I pivoted towards weed and cannabis. And for me, who's a very active, kind of high-strung person, I needed... The cannabis was a gateway drug to meditation for me. I couldn't meditate because I was always like... And then with cannabis, I was like, okay, I think I can maybe meditate now. <laughs> and then... I had my awakening, and I'm like, wait, fuck Trump. We've got so many other beautiful things going on. Right. Of course, See? we can't. But there is optimism. Oh, there you go. There's beautifulness. Like, there's beautiful things happening. And, and while terrible things happen, beautiful things are, being, are happening as well. And, and I, I think it's important to realize I that. understand you're working on something that would take the munchy factor out of smoking pot, which would be great for me. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, well, you're not fat anymore. Anymore? <laughs> I ever 
I only said that because I knew it would bother okay, you. Okay. No, you were never. No, fat. it would bother but... me if I had been fat, but I don't remember being fat. <laughs> We need to get rid of the But you used to be mean. That's over. Yeah, no, uh, not mean anymore. We're full so, of kindness and love, can't you tell? I can see how this thing has affected you. But, um, but come on, are you serious that there could be a strain of pot that did not make us get the munchies? Yes, and you just have to isolate the strain because every girl doesn't want to take weed because she can't control herself or but she thinks Me too. It's... I'm not a right. girl. I want that. Well, you also have to just control yourself and say before you... I can't. You... When I'm stoned, I will eat anything. And that's the good... The bad part is that you have this munchy thing. The good part is you'll eat anything, so if you only have healthy food in the house, you're, yeah. you know, yeah. you're eating post-it notes and you're still Well, that's feel, also you know, a good option, but... is to clean out your house so that you can't get after stuff, you know, when it's okay. late night. I so, don't know how to order food, so I'm not going to get anything in my own I house. I have to know what you think about Joe Biden and this whole thing. I think Joe Biden is just a grandfather, you know what I mean? And he's old, and, like, I'm not... I'm, I don't like... Uh, comparing, I don't like these stories of these women coming out talking about a man smelling their hair or kissing the back of their head. I feel like it diminishes people who have actually experienced That's what I was trying to say over there. I, I, I feel like this is a... Not it's really even a man-woman issue. It's an America issue about perspective. We have no sense of perspective. Everything has to be DEFCON 5. Or DEFCON 1, actually. Never well, I mean, I, I sort of agree that I don't think this is comparable to, you know, a beer-fueled violent sexual assault such as Supreme Court judges are allowed to Well, do. we don't know whether that uh, was a sexual assault. Uh, Wait a second. Uh, uh, allegedly. No, no, no. Not allegedly. We don't know if that was a sexual assault. It was high school kids who were drunk. It could have been. It well, never think, sounded like it was but, to me. But I think the moral of the story is it's not about the intention of the action. It's about the how the person is receiving it. And Christine yeah. Blasey okay, so, wasn't lying. Okay. She no, felt violated. No, she wasn't. Yes, she did. Of course. And she was. Like many of us yeah. were in high school. I was also jumped by two guys in high school, and they beat the shit out of me. I okay, got, it happens, you know. I mean, I think, you know, if I may say, I have a little experience of being sexually assaulted by a powerful politician. In my case, it was Margaret Thatcher. Let's hear this story. No, a thing that people, a thing that people don't know about Margaret Thatcher is that she was very touchy feely. I want to say that I've people... also been sexually assaulted by Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you would, you would sit with her and she would put her hands on. Really? Over you. Yeah. And, oh, I mean, I yeah, had this I... meeting with her in which she was like I... pawing at me. Yes. And I thought, I'm being groped by the Prime Minister. Yes. I, <laughs> I, I, people, when, when people know you're from TV, they do it all the time. They, and I don't like yeah. it. I am not a touchy-feely yeah, person. No. I don't like anybody to touch me unless it's a woman who means business. Margaret Thatcher, by the way. <laughs> it's true. That's why you rebuffed my hug in the beginning. I'm not you. I'm kidding. You Margaret Thatcher, by the way, spanked Christopher Hitchens. What? She did. She, Christopher had written something she didn't like, and she met him at a party conference, and she said to him, you've been a naughty boy, haven't you? And, and he said, well, yes, Prime Minister, I suppose I have. And she said, you better bend over. She made him bend over, and she smacked him with a rolled-up magazine. But, See, Briti the, British scandals are different than American <laughs> sexual <laughs> No. Stormy Daniels hit Trump with a rolled-up magazine. Yeah, exactly, same thing. We're all but one. But Christopher didn't, didn't object or feel violated. He fell in love with her. Oh, wow. <laughs> But, Sounds like Margaret Thatcher was a sexual predator. But, okay, so what, it seemed, what I would like to get 
two, two questions. One, what can women do? It seems like we hear a lot about these things years later. Like, if it's a real assault or something, okay, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the guy who was doing the Eskimo kisses and kissing the back of your head. And I get it that it feels uncomfortable. I wouldn't like it either. Mm. What can women do to uh, move this process forward to, like, reacting in the moment? as opposed to five years later. Right. Can, can we, I know it's sometimes tough if the person is your boss and you don't Why wanna... is it the burden on the women exactly. to respond? Why can't men just say, I'm not going to be the creepy okay, guy? Okay, because all men are not going to do that. It's ridiculous. What's the line? What, what's the line? I just reached over when you said something funny and I put my hand on your hand. You know, and I did not mean anything by it. I want to just but, tell you. But you're, you're saying, why don't we live in a world where men always are starting to act perfectly? It's not going to happen. The norms And if change. they don't, and what... The greatest, one of the big problems of the Trump presidency is there used to be not just the formal structures and rules of American life, but a set of norms of what constituted decent behavior in a whole bunch of areas. Right. And there was progression from sort of decade to decade, generation to generation, very, very slow. Everybody has grandparents with problematic views. Everybody has parents with problematic Clinton views. Fits in that beautiful. In that long, slow, gradual thing. And now we've seen that the last several years, gradual. it goes back. But, but, and so the question is, what norms will exist? Po one of these people. Uh, first of all, I wish the media would stop using the terms of the Me Too movement. These are not allegations. They actually happened. It's on tape. They're not that serious to be allegations. They're not victims stepping forward. All this bullshit. Yes, he kissed the back of somebody's head. I'm asking, what can women do to just, at that moment, we all learn how to navigate that moment where you go, excuse me, don't kiss the back of my head, please. Is that too much? Well, I would argue that that's what's happening right now. We're yeah. empowering women to speak up when something's wrong, to say something. Say, some, so say something. Say something. Say something. Yes, absolutely. But a lot of women. That's not. Well, I think. I think. I mean, it's giving women a lot of voice to say, "Hey, this happened to me. I feel power in numbers." And what the fuck has happened to the feminist movement? Women have voices. Why can't women turn around? Women have been able to turn around for the last forty years and say, "Just." Yes. And by the way, these women didn't say that at the moment, and they couldn't have felt terribly uncomfortable. We see it on tape. Why not well, they say can, it in... No, people, why not say it? Why not say uh, it in the I'm moment? Saying. And, and because, you know, again... You know, most guys, if, if you do that to them, they feel hard. They're like, they're so embarrassed. Oh, my God. You know, they, they feel almost as bad as you do. They went over the line. Was Joe Biden going to insist if she said, don't do that? Was he going to, hey, bitch, I'm going to kiss the back of your head. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, you're going to get a back of the head kiss. No. This I think he would have backed off. This shouldn't diminish that men in power um, use that against women who cannot speak up. Correct. Yes. But these weren't. I, it, to my mind, having watched these, these were not situations like that. And the problem is that on the spectrum, everything has been pushed too far over. But but there's another challenge, and that is that um, I don't know how old you are, but there is I'm a twelve. <laughs> you, you look very mature. Thank you. Um, Thirty-six. <laughs> Um, no, but the, this is a real generation. This is a real generational issue. Um, people yeah. who are twenty yes. and twenty-one don't agree don't do at all, exactly. no. and they don't agree. No, because they're snowflakes. But you mean that they can't say anything in the moment when something happens? No, they think that they think that, that Joe Biden is a yeah. disgusting old pervert. Okay, right, the, I, right, yes. Right. So, but here's I, the, you know some people if, like for instance, if somebody did something that I felt uncomfortable with, I'd have no issue. But not every woman has the same experience. Some women have right. had a bad experience with a guy grabbing them by the back of the head, and who knows what that triggers for them. And that doesn't validate this or make 
make it commensurate to rape or assault. But, I mean, we do have to be, we have to understand where people are coming from. Right now, this whole Joe Biden thing doesn't feel like it's, doesn't. It, it does, it feels like bullshit, you know? You think it, here's my final question. Could it be good for him? Because, no? Just, you just I, said he's he, a grandpa and an old man. No, no, I, look, I don't, even want, him to be the, I don't even want him to be the candidate. Yeah, but that's what this is about. That's yeah, why but, he's under assault. Yeah. Because he is thinking you about being a You know what? There's, su there's such a... He, he was... Listen to... You were talking about the media. Here's Chris Kaliza on CNN Saliza. talking... About, I'm sorry, did I say it wrong? Saliza. I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh, he's talking about Joe today when he walked up on stage, Joe Biden, and he made a joke. He said, I'm a, I got permission to touch this little kid, to, you know, hug him. Okay. With that speech, Biden may have made things even worse. Making light of a situation like this feels tone deaf, even if the crowd in the room laughed. I love that. Even if the crowd in the room left. In other words, fuck the people and what they think. This is the media talking now. Biden has to know better. This isn't a joking matter. Yes, it is. It's exactly what's perfect for a joking matter. It's not that fucking serious. <laughs> perspective. Could we get some perspective in America? may not be for him to make the joke. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's the joke's on him a little bit. I mean, I think... It, to just contrary-wise, that it's not that difficult no. in social situations to know whether a woman wants you to kiss the back of but her head or not. But it's not just women, as we've been saying. Right. I get, and, and he said, I get it. Yeah. You know, but we're humans. Humans are going to touch each other in ways that are not always perfect, or else we're going to do what she and I did when we just walked out here. Do we want that? Yeah. Is this really... The what is going to determine American policy in 2020? I mean, uh, exactly. one of the things about the mind... If the media has, it, has a say in it, well, because that's, that's... part of the problem. We always yeah. talk about politics, we don't talk about government, which is what happens after the... Poli we do this thing like you were talking about the sports, politics as sports. You root for the teams, the season's over, you start the next season. But after they get into power, they run the government, and that's really the important stuff, and that's what people yeah. should be talking well, about. Well, we'll talk about that next week. It's time for New Rules now. Ready? Okay, New Rules. Nero, since Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeted that croissants are expensive at the airport and Ted Cruz felt like he had to write a series of tweets teasing her and calling her a socialist, Ted Cruz has to admit he would kill his whole family for five minutes with her <laughs> shoes. Neural day spas have to admit that there's nothing therapeutic about putting a bunch of rocks on your back. They just do it to keep guys like Robert Kraft from turning over. <laughs> Neural, now that Tim Ryan has announced he's running for president, he has to answer two questions. Who are you? <laughs> and why did you get your picture taken at Sears? <laughs> Neural cauliflower must stop pretending to be other things. I'm sorry, cauliflower, you're not rice and nobody wants you in mashed potatoes or pizza crust. It's time to accept what the doctors have told you. You're going to be a vegetable for the rest of your life. Neural, since Trump says windmills cause cancer, and Bernie Sanders cites the harm done by burning coal, we have to settle this with science. Lock Bernie in the garage with this windmill. <laughs> and lock Trump in the garage with this charcoal grill, and we'll see who comes out. <laughs> yeah. 
It might not be the most logical way to choose a leader, but it's better than the Electoral College. And finally, new rule, if HBO has to put up a warning label before this show, cable news has to do it before Trump comes on. Get that son of a bitch off the field. Bomb the shit out of him. Can't get a fucking school built. They're ripping the shit out of the sea. Pussy. Listen, you motherfuckers. Kind of makes you think that sounding like a politician wasn't such a bad thing after all. Someone should break it to the holdout still waiting for Trump to become presidential that that ship has sailed. Not only has it sailed, the toilets are overflowing and everyone on board has the norovirus. You know, after the American Revolution, the founding fathers were worried that the awesome office of president would imbue its holder with too much dignity. (laughs) Problem solved. And it's getting worse. Trump using street language used to be a fairly rare occurrence, but lately he's decided that, for example, using the word bullshit is a perfectly normal, regular routine practice for the president of the United States. And all of a sudden, they're trying to take you out with bullshit. The Democrats have to now decide whether they will continue defrauding the public with ridiculous bullshit. This is the new politics. We heard Julian earlier. Better O'Rourke did it at the end of his campaign last fall, and people loved it. I'm so fucking proud of you guys. Now, a couple of years ago, I gave you an idea what a future president would sound like giving the State of the Union address in our new pro-profanity environment. Tonight, I'd like to show you what a town hall presidential debate might look like in a future presidential election. Mr. President. Do I I need that mic to do this bit? Okay. (laughs) Remember, I'm still the president. (laughs) Hi, Mr. President. I'm Justin. My question is, since the national debt is over $37 trillion, what is your plan to do with it? That's a great question, Justin. And you're right. We need to talk some real shit. (laughs) We have been borrowing money for too long like a bitch in heat. And... When that happens, as you all know, the middle class takes it up the ass. (laughs) And small business owners get skull-fucked. Now, recently, I completed a listening tour, and, you know, as I was hauling ass around this great nation of ours, I talked to everyone from the shit-kickers in Texas to the clit-lickers in San Francisco. And one thing they all have in common is debt. Am I right? Debt. I met a hard-working single mom from Ann Arbor named Cindy Walker. Cindy works the pole and pops her pussy at the (laughs) Platinum Lady on Maple Street, and it's still not enough to make ends meet. And when I I explained to Cindy that just servicing the interest on the debt is why we don't have enough money for education or health care, she looked at me and said, Mr. President, fuck! That is dumber than dog shit. Don't you ass clowns in Washington know what the fuck you're doing? Are you so busy reaming each other that you don't ever think of the little guy? And she's right. I know, being in debt is like fucking a fat guy. It's hard to get out from under it. So... 
Justin, I would say to you that we are called on to solve this problem, all of us, not just for America, but motherfuckers all over the world <laughs> need to know, can we pay our debts? I think we can. I'm an optimist. You know, there's a term our 11-year-old Tyler likes to use. BDE. It stands for Big Dick Energy. (laughs) And I think if we as people all pull together and put our strength together and harness the Big Dick Energy inside of us, our better days are still ahead. Thank you for the question, Justin. That's our show. I'll be at the Lyric Opera House in Baltimore June 9th and at the Devos Performance Hall in Grand Rapids. Me, not the president, in Michigan June 23rd. I want to thank Gideon Rose, Daniel Pletka, Salman Rushdie, just Chelsea Handler, and Julian Castro. Stay tuned for Overtime. Thank you, folks. Catch all new episodes of Real Time with Bill Maher every Friday night at 10 or watch him anytime on HBO On Demand. For more information, log on to HBO.com.